Well, when we looked at Peter last week, Jesus had to talk to him because they had a discussion just after the Lord's Supper where he had laid out that he was going to be betrayed. And they wanted to know who was it. And then they had a big discussion, well, who's the greatest disciple? A bunch of guys jockeying around with a bunch of male bravado as to who's really the greatest. And Jesus had to answer them and talk to them. The greatest among all is the greatest servant of all. Something we don't see that's really taught a whole lot today. And then he went on from there to say, uh, Simon, Simon, uh, Satan has asked permission to sift you. That was last week's message. Sifting. Why does God sift us? And of course, Peter didn't really have any choice of this one. Because basically, Satan had to ask permission. And we said, well, well that's kind of crazy that Satan had to ask permission. Uh, no. Again, it reminds us that everything that happens in on earth and in the heavens is under the sovereignty of God's control. You go back to the book of Job. Job would not have been afflicted with all the challenges that happened in his life had God not allowed it. That brings a whole, uh, opens up a whole can of nasty worms. See, when I'm going through tough stuff in my life that God's allowed it, yes. Why? He thinks you need it. I don't think I need it. A lot of us sometimes don't. Or we go through those circumstances, we say to God, well, Lord, uh, let's make this one go by real fast. Just speed up the process, okay? But God doesn't do that. And then uh, Jesus' response to Peter in that passage, as we talked about last week, was, uh, Peter, yes, Lord. I've prayed to you that your faith may not fail. Oh. Which should have been a kind of a, a heads-up warning. It's going to be a tough test. Because I was thinking to myself, does Jesus ever give us easy tests? Ever go through a test and say, well, that was really easy. It was really easy. You don't think of it as a test, do you? But Jesus took him through that test. Today we're going to kind of look at the test, or as I call it, before the rooster crows. See, spiritual failure is something we don't like to talk about, but it's a reality in every one of our lives. We're all prone to think, I will never fail Christ. Really? Actually, that is the problem. We think that by self-effort we won't fail. We set ourselves up for failure. Because let me tell you, my friend, in your own strength, you cannot live the Christian life. Did you hear me? In your own strength, you will never be able to live the Christian life. Because your Christian life is not easy. The same is true in Peter's life. And we can all learn a lot from Peter's failure. The answer is gradual and not suddenly. In Luke 22, 54 to 60, we read these words. Then seizing him, speaking of Christ, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. The servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know you, he said. 
A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned, looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him not less than, less than 24 hours before. And said, before the rooster crows today, you're going to disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. The story of Peter's denial reveals certainly the weakness of Peter, but also reveals the strength of Christ. Because what's interesting is that this denial that Peter has of Christ is recorded in all four Gospels. How would you like your mistake to be written up four times? For everybody to reach and read. Hey, let's talk about how Jim or Sue or Bill or Bob and how they failed and how they screwed up. Let's What we can learn from them. Maybe it was an object lesson. Is Peter, at his greatest moment of failure, failure in his confessed love for Christ, he said, yeah, I love God, but he's going to fail God. And he's going to fail God really badly. He is also Christ in his greatest moment of triumph, in his unconfessed love for Peter, because Peter still loved Jesus in spite of the failure. Do you hear that? In spite of his failure, Jesus still loves Peter. We just you know, I need to park on that one for a second here. I'll tell you why. As many times you and I, when we fail, we make mistakes. What we often think when it comes to that whole issue is when I make a mistake, God turns his back on me, God doesn't love me, God doesn't want anything to do with me. And when you think that way, Satan has you where he wants. Because God's love is not conditioned upon what I do and what I don't do. God's love is eternal. And oftentimes we think, he only loves me when I do what is right. Because he's being conditioned by this world. You know what? You're a good kid. Way to go. You're a bad kid. Get out of here. And so sometimes when it comes to failure, we think, ah. But in reality, I could guess you could say that Peter's story is our story. All of us have come to know Christ. All of us belong to Christ. Understand that it is what it is to stumble. Understand what it is to trip up and understand what it is to over, be overcome by temptation. And all of us, at one point or another, understand what it is to fail or fall. It is also, a sense, a story of defeat, disappointment, but yet it's a story that should encourage us. It's a hopeful story because this wreck of a man named Peter, God's going to use again. He doesn't write him off. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to park on that one. Everything in the world tells us that when you screw up, you make mistakes, we write you off, you're gone, you're done, you're, you're uh, moved away. That's, that's, that's the way it is. But Christ doesn't operate that way, and I am thankful that he doesn't. Because he sees the hopeless, he sees the lost, he sees those who claim to be his children when they make mistakes, when they do things are wrong, and he says, you know what? I can still work in you. I can still do what needs to be done. Because God is able to do what nobody else can do and take a hopeless piece of flesh of whatever, 
lump of clay and make it into something purposeful again. Jeremiah 18, 1 to 6 brings that out. What strikes us about verse 54 is that Peter followed Christ at a distance. Lord, I'll never leave you. I'm always going to be there for you, no matter what. But it says he's following at a distance. You say, well, why is he following at a distance? Well, there's Roman soldiers. His whole world's been turned upside down. And through the whole process, he is just really, really struggling. John MacArthur said this, Peter boasted too much, prayed too little, acted too fast, and followed too far. It stated in the Gospel of Mark these words. Uh, Peter said this in Mark 14, 29. Even if all fall away, I will not. I won't. And that's why we've got to be, be so careful, folks, when it comes to our Christian walk, that we don't, when we hear somebody's story about somebody that's fallen, somebody that's failed, and we say these bad words, that will never be me. Or I won't do that again. Or that I just that, that I would never do something like that. Really? Because the minute you say that, you're putting confidence in your fleshly abilities to say, yeah, that's not going to happen. Because I'm sure that Peter had greater reason to boast in his confidence in what Christ was doing through him than any one of us. The question is, somebody says, was Peter afraid? Was that why he was falling in a distance? You see, in Scripture, Peter's not portrayed as a fearful man. He was willing to stick his neck out when other disciples would hold back. He was the one who walked on the water while the rest played it safe in the boat. He said, well, yeah, but he sunk. Well, listen, the other 11 couch potatoes were in the boat playing it safe, and he's the one walking on the water to Jesus. Give him a few points. Nobody else was walking out there with him. It's not only Peter had promised to stay with the Lord even unto death. He was the first and only one to draw a sword and attack the encroaching army in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden, Peter was willing to die for his master. And think of the odds. One man with one sword pointed against an entire, an entire crowd, armed to the teeth, and he's willing to draw the sword and fight for Jesus. And Jesus tells him to put his sword away, and he puts the ear back on the servant that he struck and heals it instantaneously. It doesn't look like fear to me. From Mark's account, I believe that the soldiers had every intention of arresting Jesus and all of his followers. And the young man in Mark's account got away by leaving his clothing behind. He ran, because there was other people who were afraid, but Peter didn't run. According to John's account, if the soldiers had not been so overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus, the disciples would not have been dismissed, but the miracle occurred in order to fulfill prophecy. What happened is... Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers approach Jesus and, and uh, of course, Judas betrays him with a kiss on the cheek. And they call out, are you the one? Call Jesus. And he says, I'm, I'm the one you're looking for. And the minute he says those words, what happens to the whole crowd? They follow her backwards. Just recognize the power and authority that was in Jesus. That this was not some plot, that they, what they did in essence was something that 
was not of Jesus' plan. He willingly gave his life for you and I. There's no more dangerous place for Peter to be than in the courtyard where the disciples had stood by and the soldiers, but the disciples weren't there. It was only the soldiers. The only one who was with them was John. And Peter could not only be identified as a disciple of Christ, but he also could be detained because he was, they would have recognized him. So yet he's, he's by this coal campfire trying to warm himself up, but he was falling from afar. What was going on? In his mind. The events of the evening probably had left him a little befuddled, confused. It's been three years with Jesus, seen some fantastic things happen. Seen the feeding of the 5,000, seen him heal people, raise people back to the dead. He'd been in the Garden of Gethsemane and tried to pray but had fallen asleep. And had been challenged by Jesus to pray so they would not enter temptation. Luke 22, 46. He said, pray, 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 but they just couldn't do it. They just kept falling asleep. Christ had been arrested. He'd seen that. He tried to defend him, but Christ had told him to put away the sword, and he knows that. He's trying to live up to his words, but Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He was wondering, what's going on? Because this was so beyond him. And then it happens as he's warming himself by the fire. Luke 22:56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, this man was with him. He immediately outright flatly denies knowing anything about Jesus. He lies. He's been caught off guard by this turn of events. Ever been in a position where you've been able to talk about your faith in Christ and kept your mouth shut? Why? Why do you do that? Is it fear? Intimidation? There's many reasons we've all been there. There's been a chance to be a witness for Christ. You said nothing. And so, Peter lies. And one lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. The servant girl is, un is undoing. The man had been so confident following after Christ now shows really he's a coward. His boasting had been in the flesh, his own strength. A little later, another servant girl, according to Matthew, said, you're, you're one of them. What's Peter's response? Man, I am not. Matthew's gospel said he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he didn't want to be identified. Because he knew down deep he's putting his life on the line. And all of us are afraid of putting our life on the line following Christ given the right circumstances the pressure it's escalating against Peter but I'm going to ask you a question who allowed this test to take place anyone God did Satan was out 
to destroy Peter. But God says, I'm allowing this, but I'm praying that you won't lose your faith in the process. God's process is not about destroying your life. It's about purifying it. Know why you believe. His confidence is imploding. He's falling apart. He still hangs around the courtyard area. His denials are growing stronger and more vehement. And Luke twenty-two fifty-nine, we read, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Matthew 26, 73, after a while they're standing there, went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. You're one of this. In Matthew 26, 74, then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore, I don't know the man. Wow. Is this the same Peter when asked by Christ, do you say, who do you say that I am, responded, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You ever wonder why some people can have such a strong, bold witness and say, I love God, I want to serve Him, I want to follow Him. And then a few years later, they deny they had anything to do with God. And you go like, what happens? What's gone wrong? Because out of Peter's mouth comes swearing and cursing. What started as one lie had escalated now into a flurry of lies. Lie after lie after lie. What's happened to Peter? The Bible said he was swearing and cursing, and then the rooster crows in verse 60. And then one of the most riveting verses, I think, in this passage, Luke twenty-two sixty-one. The Lord looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. The Lord had warned Peter and the rest of the disciples that they would not, they would all fall away. But I think what would it have been like to have been Peter to have lied vehemently, to have cursed that you don't know Christ. And as Christ is being led out of the judgment hall, Christ looks at him. He sees that Christ has been beaten, spat upon, got all that on his face, marked, and he looks at Peter. What that birth in Peter's heart. But again, Jesus had warned the disciples. So, well, you, yeah, I know in the last week we talked about how he said, you know, I pray that you're not entered into temptation or that you, that you won't lose your faith in this process, and I'm warning you. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke 22, 40, what did Jesus say to the disciples? Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Once, okay? Second time, Luke 22, 46. Get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. So what was lacking in the disciples' life? What's lacking in the church's life? What's lacking in our lives? Prayer. Prayer shows I am dependent upon a holy and living God to sustain me every single day of my life. And when I don't pray, what it says really, I can do it myself. 
And that's what happened. The failure of Peter, the failure of the disciples, our failure is when the tests and trials come, and they will, because we have not prayed. And so he says, well, how much prayer is enough? You only find out as you start to pray. Because there's so many things, my friend, that will keep you from prayer every single day of your life. You'll get up in the morning. You'll grab your cup of coffee for those of you who like coffee, those of you who like tea. And some will drink your crazy stuff. I don't know what you drink, but anyways. But in the process, you'll think, well, I, I need to pray. But all of a sudden, you're in the car. You're going to the job. There's things going on. And you'll think to yourself, I should have prayed. I should have prayed. I should have prayed. Of all the challenges and warnings that Peter had, he still failed. The look from Christ, man, that, that would have hurt. You failed, messed up, and Christ looks at you, and you're going like, oh, man. I think you want to crawl under a rock someplace and die. Christ's face, as I said, would have been covered with spit because they've been spitting on him and beating on him. His face would have been battered and puffy, being bruised because he had been punched in the face. And through the swollen eyes of spit, he looks into the face of his fallen leader. But listen to this. The look that Jesus gave Peter was not one of hate or disgust. Jeremy, it was a look of love. Peter messed up, but I still love you because my love is not conditioned upon your obedience to what I say. My love for you is not conditioned upon whether you're doing the right stuff. I, as a heavenly God, love you because I am a God of love. It was, a, was it disappointing for Jesus? Yeah. But how much more for Peter? The pain must have been shattering to him. And Luke twenty two sixty two 62 says he went outside and he wept bitterly. That's good. It wasn't that he hardened his heart? He wept bitterly. That was a good response. His love for Christ broke his heart. What have I done? Satan would want to bring a soul to the point of despair so that he plunges himself into hell as Judas did without repentance, says John MacArthur. But you see, God brings his soul to the point of despair so that he cries for forgiveness and mercy and repentance and finds heaven instead. That's true repentance. But it isn't the end of the story. That's what I like. What was Jesus' statement? Again, go back to 2232. But I pray for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew there was going to be a test. But only did he know there was going to be a test. He says, you're going to turn back. And when you get through this, you're going to go strengthen your brothers who also run off. He predicted this. Failure isn't final with God. And what's also good about that to know is that when you fail and all of us wail, God can use your failure when you turn and repent to Him 
to use it to strengthen others and say, you what, you don't need to go down the same path I did. And if you have, guess what? There's mercy and grace to be found in Christ Jesus. He doesn't write you off. What happens with Peter? His faith doesn't fail. He repents. He was restored. And he was used monumentally in the book of Acts, which immediately follows the book of John. He preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 are saved. He preaches a little while later. 5,000 people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why? This is a man on fire. Because he experienced the forgiveness of God, even though he's flatly out denied who he knew. See, to become a Christian requires... Repentance and faith in Christ. Repentance means we turn our back on sin. Faith is trusting that Jesus died for my sin and not trusting my own efforts or my good works. Because in my own strength, I can't do it on my own. The Christian life begins with repentance and faith, but it continues on with repentance and faith every single day. And whether we sin or not, God's Word opens our eyes to Him that we need Him more and more Every day. So why do people fail? Well, we refuse to obey the teaching in God's Word. Uh, we walk in our own strength. That's called pride. I can do it myself. Well, we grow spiritually lazy. And evidently when somebody comes to me for counseling, I don't care what the issue is. I don't care what the issue is, no matter what the issue is. And I ask them, uh, How's your devotional life? Guess what I hear? It's non-existent. And so one of the first things I do when I counsel people is, okay, first thing we're going to do, we haven't talked about the rest of the problems. I said, we're not worried about the rest of the problems. Let's get the first things first. You need to get back in the Word. You need to get back in prayer. And right now you're going to become accountable to me, and you're going to be in God's Word every day, and we're going to start doing that. And all of a sudden, within two weeks, they start feeling better. Woohoo! What happens? I got back to God. Why do we people fail? We respond to crises in the flesh. Not in the spirit. Again, that's, that's relying on what? I, I can do this. I, I can fix this. Really? Or we look to help in all the wrong places. We, we go to people. Well, some people are really good. You can talk to people about your problems or situations, and they give you good counsel. But that counsel should lead you to Christ. Because I don't care if it's your mom or your dad or your grandmother or your grandfather, whoever it is, praise God, you've got those kind of people in your life. But they should lead you back to God. Because God's the only one who's going to make any difference in your life. The friends have good words, good confidence, good counsel, looking for help in all the wrong places. We sometimes compromise our witness by our words and our behavior, by my actions, which again shows... I'm not grounded. I'm walking in the flesh. What's the last reason? We fail because we don't take time to pray. You see, if we repent of our spiritual failures, God will restore us and use us again. That's next week's message, the restoration of Peter. There is a happy ending. But Jesus is going to have to take the surgical knife to Peter's heart. And ask those three questions. Peter, do you love me? Not once, not twice, but how many times? Three. And he opens up an old wound 
to bring healing into Peter's life. There's always hope with Christ. Failure isn't final, especially with our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you from this past from Scripture, Lord, that as we look at Christ going to the cross on our behalf for our sins, that, Lord, even in the greatest crises and trial of his life, he still looks with compassion upon his followers, especially Peter, who's failed. And, Lord, you've warned him time and time again, pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray, pray, pray. Father, what's our struggle today? We don't pray. We pray very little. So, Father, help us to love you, to follow you, and admit, oh, God, how I need you. Father, we need you because we can't do life on our own. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.